Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the ASU Sports Business Podcast. This episode is part of a series in collaboration with UNECA, the United Nations Economic Commission for Africa, as we look at how sport can support the inclusive implementation of the AFCFTA. The AFCFTA, which is the African Continental Free Trade Area, launched at the start of 2021 and is the largest single market in the world, comprising of 54 member nations, as Africa looks to continue its economic growth. Welcome back to another podcast. Um, we hope you're doing well, and thanks for joining us again. So, in this podcast, we will be focusing again on sports advocacy and women's economic empowerment, um, and this will be the second part of our two-part series. Our first part was a wonderful and insightful conversation with Beatrice Chaitor, who is the senior services expert at the African Union, and she sheds her you know, insight on the trade opportunities for women and how the AFCFTA can further support and encourage female entrepreneurship. It was a really, really good conversation. So if you haven't done so already, I just encourage you to go back and listen to that. Um, yeah, it was a great conversation. And in this part, the second part, we'll have more of a panel discussion with three female stakeholders in sports. Firstly, and who will be hosting this panel session, we have Amy Wanday, who is a social entrepreneur, a women's advocate, and the founder of African Sports Network. She'll be alongside Jean Sesinde, a former football player for Queen's Park Rangers here in England, and now director of women's football at South Sudan Football Association. And lastly, Kimberly Coates, who is an expert in cycling and co-founder of Team Africa Rising, an organization who have helped and continue to help and develop cycling for many African countries, especially during COVID as well, coming up with um, tech solutions and helping those continue to train. Um, all of these women have and continue to break down barriers and create opportunities in difficult circumstances. So we hear on their experiences and how sports can provide both an economic and social empowerment for women. So enough from me, and over to you, Amy. Thank you so much for joining today, Kimberly and June from all different places around the world. I'm happy to have you here and ready to engage in this conversation about sports advocacy for gender equality and women's economic empowerment. So um, I think we can start off by talking generally about both your opinions about um, the current state of affairs regarding gender equality and women's sport. So Kimberly, would you like to give us your view first? Well, I work in the field of cycling. So within cycling, it's been a real struggle um, to get gender equality. There are not as many women's races at the highest levels of the sport. There is an, a huge gap in equality as far as pay goes, opportunities, and especially working on the African continent, we have had some success getting men and men's teams up to the highest levels competing internationally. But for women, it's been really difficult because outside of the continental championships or any local races such as national championships, there are no races for women. There are some local races in South Africa, but it's been really, really difficult. And so 
there's a huge gap um, between men and women when it comes to the sport of cycling. Thanks for that perspective and an introduction to cycling. I'm actually looking forward to asking you a bit more about the cycling industry and women um, as we move forward. So Jen, I'd like to hand it over to you. Can you tell us more about your perspective regarding gender equality and the current state of affairs in women's sport? Um, yeah, thank you, Amy. Um, I would like to agree with Kimberly as well. Um, of course, in uh, me working in football, um, there is a big gap right now. And even if you can see that a lot of efforts are being done to kind of close the gap, but you can see that we are still far away uh, from where I want to be. And for me, um, doing different research and reading about how, how far behind we are or how that gap is not closed Sometimes it saddens me and I'm wondering when is this gonna happen? Because there isn't time anymore to let it keep going um, to be a uh, very big. So it's so disappointing and I hope we can do more, not just as women, but uh, also as the men really, uh, to, so that we can close the gap. Because if you look at, uh, I think I mentioned some time back that for me, having lived in Europe and also living in Africa and working in Africa and living and working in Europe at the same time, it's given me uh, both perspectives of, of, of the different worlds. And if you look at Africa, there is still a lot that we are lacking in terms of women empowerment and equality. Um, people cannot speak up because speaking up is a taboo or speaking up, you're being disrespectful. Um, you know, sport, uh, there isn't enough investment and uh, there isn't that much effort within men in power. And there, is, there are very few women in power whom all of them want to keep their jobs. So they're not going to speak up. So it's really, really difficult. And it, personally, it angers me a lot. And uh, I feel, <laughs> yeah, I feel like I don't have enough words to describe how bad it is right now. Uh, I still do realize that there is a there is big effort, but I think what also saddens me is uh, the difference in continents. Because working in Africa, you can see that there is that difference between Africa and Europe. That Europe, there is now a little bit of um, people who can speak up a lot more, but in Africa, we are still far behind. And I feel like for us to achieve this and close the gap. We have to work as one unit. It's not a case of a man African, I'm a European. We have to come together and fight the good fight together. So, so now the gap is still so big and it's really saddening for me. Thanks for that perspective, Jen. And you're definitely right. I have the I, I agree with that completely. You know, it's about working together, it's about collaboration and everyone just joining forces, you know, to put everything into perspective, look at the bigger problem and work on how we can move forward and how we can work together to fix it. So I'd just like to stick with you for a moment and ask you a bit more about more about your sector. I know you've you've started by talking about the industry as a whole, but your background in football. Um, tell us a bit more, first of all, about the work you do with your foundation and also why it's so important for you to inspire young girls and you know to play football. Yeah, um, for me, starting from my life when I, I I came into the game, it was really difficult. As a young girl, I didn't get opportunities to play football or to get the right coaching because I was living in Uganda and playing football is a taboo by then, or maybe there isn't much support. Nobody even thinks women can play football. But because I believed in myself um, then, or I wanted to do it, I wanted to see how far I can go. So when I got the opportunity to travel to England, um, I was just, uh, 
short about 17 and uh, I, I made the big decision to travel alone to come into the UK and pursue this dream and for me, it wasn't more about me, but it was to inspire all the young girls in my country to show them that we can actually do this. Or I left everything behind my family and it was my first time to actually travel on a plane. So it was really, really uh, crazy. But for me, making that bold decision changed my life forever because I got to play football, I got to, to you know, now the industry in which I'm working at this serious level is it's given me a platform and an opportunity to now change uh, the perspective, not just in my country, but in Africa as a whole, or maybe in the world as a whole. And for me, that's always been my goal looking back as a little girl. And uh, for me coming in the UK and seeing how things were so different and how things were so different back home motivated me to push and say, let me start the foundation. Um, and in that case, maybe it could help me uh, inspire the young girls, show them that, okay, maybe we could do things like this in a different perspective, and maybe we could do it better in this area. And uh, yeah, with the foundation, so we started that to inspire more young girls and women into the game, and also to um, encourage women in communities through non-formal skills training because even if i'm more focused on the football i think about the women who left football for no good because they didn't get the opportunities and they haven't had an education so uh with the foundation we get uh, those women and we skill them in different activities like charcoal making or hair braiding or bakery um generally those activities that will help them come and um start their own small jobs or a, a business that could bring in money and maybe they could support their daughter to play football or, um, or other people. And then with the Senator Women's Development Cup, which we also started to continue giving a platform and creating opportunities for those girls and women to play football on a platform. So with that tournament, we get girls and women who are not participating in, their, in the top leagues of the country and we give them the chance to play and uh, they we get scouts or uh, different people from the schools to come and support them, take them into the schools, all um, the bursaries or the clubs. So it gives them a platform really. And uh, for me, like the last edition we did, we invited countries, uh, Tanzania. So we don't want to leave it just in Uganda. And sometimes it's challenging, of course, financially, but um, I think for me, my view changed from changing football for my home country to changing it globally because we can't work alone. We need everyone to come on board forgetting where I come from, forgetting that I'm black, I'm white, or forgetting that I'm a woman or a man, we need to come together and take this so that we make the world a better place, really, that's it. Thanks for sharing that. I think what, what really struck to me with what you just said was specifically, you know, about it's beyond football, first of all. I mean, I love what you said towards the end about community and all of us working together, no matter who you are. But at the same time, you mentioned something very important, which is, you know, it's beyond football. It's about educating people. And that resonates with me very much because with the work that I do at the African Sports Network, we believe so much in, you know, for you, you're focusing on different skills that you can teach young girls. With us, it's about, okay, well, how can you get a further education? You know, it's not just about empowering these young people to play sports because what happens after they play sport what happens to these young girls after they end their career they still need skills they still need jobs so that resonated with me so much because that's a very important area that sometimes we neglect and sometimes it undermines the, the value of the sports industry we can't only empower people to 
play the sport, but we must also further their development personally, professionally, and make sure that we're nurturing whole rounded individuals. So thank you so much for sharing that, John. I think that was fantastic. And over to you, Kimberly. I love that we have such different perspectives here. So Kimberly, tell us all about Team Africa Rising, you know, why cycling and why is it important for you to empower female cyclists? So I think we're going to have very similar stories, um, Jeanne and I, because it's, um, it is about working together. And I agree, it has to cut across race, it has to cut across countries. It's, we have a saying at Team Africa Rising, team is team, that we all work together, that we're all one group. And I know that just simply advancing Rwandan cycling isn't going to advance cycling for the African continent. And that's what we do at Team Africa Rising is we took what we did in Rwanda, which we spent a little over a decade living in Rwanda and we founded the national cycling team. And we took Rwanda from a pretty much a zero competitive cycling nation to the top three nations on the Africa tour. And the whole time that we were doing this, we also too thought about what about life after cycling? Because first of all, most of the young men and women that would come to us were never going to make it to the elite levels of the sport. And it's very, it's a very small number, even if you're a wealthy white European or American rider. And so you take in all the obstacles of the African athletes on top of that, it's it's slim. The, the opportunities are very small. So we looked, we did the same thing. We looked at like, how are we going to grow this beyond cycling? Cycling's just our tool. Like football is your tool. Cycling's my tool. And it's just a sport, but how do we, how do we ripple through the community? And so the longer we were in Rwanda, more and more countries would ask for our help. And we're primarily funded from a large grant in the US and primarily US and European donors. And so, you know, like you, we never have enough money. There's never enough money. There's never enough time. There's never enough people to do everything that we wanna do. But we try to partner with people now on the ground and Whatever the or whatever they're doing to advance not only the sport but also all the periphery occupations around the sport, that's what we look to support. And so we join forces because none of us have enough money to do everything that what we want to do. But if we pull our pool our resources, then we have a greater reach into the community. So, for example, uh, in Sierra Leone right now, we are working with a young man, Kareem, who works for Village Bicycle Project, but on the side, he's able to um, take women. He's got his own little Lunsar cycling team. He does a race in Lunsar, Sierra Leone, and he has a women's race and he takes women who are racers, but he also then teaches them how to be mechanics. And we recently got a large donation to buy a little over 20 park toolkits. So they're about 80 to $100 each. We got them over to Sierra Leone and the they're going to be doing mechanics courses and half of the mechanic trainees are women. And that's pretty much our mandate across the board. We, we will help, we will raise money to do mechanics training, to do coaches training, to do swineer, which is massage and 
also administrative training around the sport, but half the positions are women. It's, it's just equal across the board. And so what we find, for example, in Rwanda, we did a mechanics course and there was a young woman, Sandrine, who was great. She did such a phenomenal job and she got selected to do an internship at the Africa Rising Cycling Center. She went up through the, that, those ranks, learned more. She became the first black African female mechanic in a UCI 2.2 race on the continent. She was the mechanic for an American team, Team Illuminate, at the Tour of Rwanda a couple of years ago. She's then since taking that into her own touring business. And she's, she's incredibly successful. And she's the one that's inspiring the next generation of young women. It's not what we do, it's what we teach others to do. And so we work now in Benin, Sierra Leone, Togo. Um, we're also working in East Africa. We have um, a partnership with a guy out of Australia who works for Masaka Cycling Club. He founded Masaka Cycling Club in Uganda. And Uganda has always been very, difficult place for us to work because of the corruption within cycling. And <laughs> I know you're laughing, you, you know, the corruption is always an issue. We were very fortunate in Rwanda um, because there was very little corruption and that's how we were able to grow so quickly. But um, we, we partner with uh, Masaka Cycling Club and they're getting two virtual trainer, two trainers to do virtual training and racing. We have 10 of those trainers in Rwanda. So basically we're putting all these kids on a virtual platform so that they will be racing with people all over the world. And, and hopefully we will have the professional teams see their, their stats, see their racing skills all virtually. So even though COVID has been hard for us, we've kind of pivoted and opened it up on a virtual sense to get exposure for these young boys and girls. So I, I agree so much with what you said. It's just, we all have to work together and we have to, that's why we changed our name from Team Rwanda Cycling to Team Africa Rising because it's not about Rwanda doing well. It's great, Rwanda did well, but if we don't raise up the entire continent, we're never going to get the long-term results. And like you were saying too, cycling is a very male dominated sport. And the problem in Africa right now is that from the Confederation of African Cycling all the way down to the uh, each country's cycling federations, it's all run by men. And that's the challenge. And I know there's, there's a very telling picture when we won the Tour of Rwanda back in 2014. And there's a picture with President Kagame and the Rwandan Cycling Federation and, and participants within the sport of cycling in Rwanda. And I'm in the middle of the picture standing near President Kagame and I am the only woman. Oh, <laughs> I look at that picture all the time and I'm like, okay, this is so wrong. It's just so wrong. You know, thankfully, I have some great partners, great male partners in Rwanda. Felix Sampoma runs his own women's cycling team. He's got 10 women. They're on salary. They have brand new bikes, brand new kits. He trains them. Um, you know, I, it takes all of us, but we need more women in the picture, literally. <laughs>
Thanks, for Kimberly. I mean, I think you've touched on so much here. You've touched on community. You've touched on, I think the main thing actually is success stories. You've given us clear examples of how, you know, it, this, um, the, the value of, of sport generally can be used to empower women. So I think that's incredible. And the stories that you've shared are completely fantastic. And you also touched on um, the next topic that I wanted to lead on to because you, you spoke a bit about, you know, some barriers that you faced in Rwanda. And that's, I wanted to actually, you know, talk next about what cultural barriers do you feel that you know are inhibiting sport from being a tool for economic empowerment? And of course, how can sport actually be used um, as a tool for empowerment? So it's a two-part question. You know, let's talk about what barriers exist and you know how we can overcome these barriers through sport. So I mean, I'll I'll start with you, Jane, and then if there's anything else you want to add, Kimberly, we can go after that. Um, when we talk um, the barriers for now. Um, we talk about the perceptions, I think, to begin with, because if you look at some roles, uh, naturally we grow up knowing that this job is for a woman or this job is a man. And for me, I'll give you an example. It's not until I came to England as a 17 year old that I saw women actually riding a bike because back in Uganda, I've never seen any woman riding a bike. Even though we do it as little, but it's not like a job or I'm going to work or it's, it's a normal thing here. So it's like just trying to normalize it, to normalize situation. The perceptions are just so wrong from the start. And uh, I wonder if we are doing enough to also teach the young ones right from a young age that this is how things should be done. I mean, for me, uh, if I can talk about also the perceptions from from the experiences that I'm currently going through right now, working with the South Sudan FA, you can go to some communities and it's normal for someone to get married at the age of 15 or to get pregnant because they are married. Um, things like that, uh, the, just, the, just the conception that just women are just women and they are weak or they're just not meant for these big jobs. So, so it's, I think currently the barriers, uh, you can think of the cultural barriers where people have certain beliefs. You can think of, um, yeah, perceptions really. I think I won't say much about that because I think in my head, the only thing that comes in mind is the perceptions and with that, it brings everything else. And in your in your um, perspective, what's the opportunity? You know, with, I I'm always a person who you know when we talk about the barriers or the the dark side to things, I always like to focus on the outcome or you know where we can you know well foster some change. So in your perspective, even if we know that these things exist, you've been you know you've been lucky enough to change your environment and you know be in an environment that opens up your mind and helps you see different and i've had the same experience as well but you know for people who don't have this privilege or you know just generally in the society what opportunities do you see even if we we do have you know certain perceptions on the content what opportunities do you see to overcome these barriers um i think first of all is um Maybe let me say if you give them some examples of, of like success stories. I think uh, with myself, um, I can see how my journey has been. Somehow I feel it's been like ups and circles because it's like, yes, I wanted to play football, but then I saw that everything off the football is just so wrong. So I'm like, can I not do both? And then it's it's difficult to balance because like earlier we spoke about in the beginning, where am I falling? And so many people do ask me, where are you, are you actually falling? What is your actual? But I'm like, why can why do we have to limit ourselves on what we can do if we can make the world a better place? And 
you look at some of the opportunities you can look into that um you know now the opportunities are there to uh, succeed on the world stage and i feel like there is nothing that we can do um for me giving my story like i said it's a case of showing that look i played football and now i'm doing administration and see what I have, see how far I've gone. And it's possible for the young girls to, if you give them opportunities, they can do even more or they can achieve even double than what we've achieved. I, I definitely agree with that. Over to you, Kimberly. What, if there's any barrier you'd like to add and um, opportunities possibly to overcome these barriers? I think barriers are very similar in the fact that if you can get women to see that it doesn't have to be the way that it is um, in their village or in their community, that they can have opportunities that, I mean, I give you, I'll give an example. Um, several years ago, Daniel Teklahamanot was in the polka dot jersey at the Tour de France. He was the first black African rider to ever wear the King of the Mountain jersey. He wore it for a couple of days. And I remember being with my team of riders in Rwanda, watching this on this tiny little computer and they saw Daniel get the Jersey. And at that moment it clicked. They're like, he did it. We can do it. Like he just opened that door. And then all of a sudden, all these young men believed because they saw a, a man from a similar situation that looked like they did they saw him successful. So I think it's it's being able to show them success. I had a girl in Rwanda who said, she's like, well, I'm gonna race until I'm 24, but then I have to get married. And I'm like, why do you have to get married? Like, <laughs> you know, of course, yeah, my white American privilege is totally showing because I just, I don't understand. I'm like, you don't have to get married, but she felt the pressure to get married and have kids. And she goes, well, then I have to stop racing. I said, you don't have to stop racing. And I showed her a video of Kristen Armstrong, the American cyclist who won a gold medal at 42 after being married and having a kid. And then she's like, you can do that? I mean, she just didn't even have the, the thought that that's even possible. So I think breaking down those cultural barriers, um, I had a, a young woman who, was in the Eritrean Cycling Federation, but she talked to me when I was there in Eritrea several years ago about her, her time as a cyclist in Eritrea. And she said her, her parents were totally against it because they said if she rode a bike that she wasn't a virgin and nobody would marry her. And I'm, I'm like, what? Like, I, I can't even wrap my head around that. And it's just misinformation, cultural barriers, and just, being able to open some doors and see, you know, people like, you know, Daniel Teklahamana open the door for all of our writers in Rwanda because they look like Daniel Teklahamanot, not a, not a bunch of white European or Americans in the tour. So I think that's important. And then of course, for, I think for all of us, it's just the economic barriers and overcoming the, um, the access to entry, at least, especially in cycling. Cycling is an extremely expensive sport. And so that's, that's a huge thing is being able to get sponsors on board, getting companies to invest in African cyclists and not just for professional level, but 
recreational, and then all the periphery jobs around that, that can all be held by women. Yeah, definitely. I think it's, it's very great that both of you touched on the idea of role models. I certainly agree that it's very, very important for us to build this concept of having people see people like them achieve these things. And then it can start to, you know, change in their mind that these are not roles that can only be held by other people, but they can also start to do these things. And Kimberly, you spoke about um, economic barriers, you know, as uh, economic means as being barriers in women's sports. And that's great because I actually wanted to talk a bit about, you know, some about investment in women's sports. And, you know, I want to hear your perspectives, the experience you've had in terms of seeking investment for women's sport. We know that sometimes it's not balanced. It's, it's a whole different conversation. You know, speaking about investment in sport is one thing, one challenge. And then speaking about investment in women's sport is like a whole different ballgame. So I just want to know um, from both of you, of course, but we'll start with Kimberly. Tell me a bit about your experience in seeking investment for women's sport, women's cycling, and you know the barriers and what steps, because I mean, I'm, I'm sure it's something we're still overcoming day by day, but what steps at least you're taking to overcome these? So yeah, it's really tough. Um, it's, I've never been able to get a full sponsor for an African women's team. I piece together money wherever I can get it. I think my friends see me coming and they run because they know I'm going to ask them for money. Um, it's frustrating. And I think because within the sport of cycling, these women haven't proven themselves at the highest levels of the sport. And so we kind of have this catch 22. It's like, well, can they really race at this level? And I know that they can, but they need the experience, but they can't get the experience because we don't have any races and I don't have the money to get them to Europe to have the experience. And it just goes round and round. And I, I haven't been able to get a large sponsor to fund an all African women's team. And I think, I think what's gonna happen with getting all of these young women on Zwift, on the virtual platform and doing these races virtually is that they're gonna get seen. That's, that's been the whole challenge is being able to have teams see these women and see how strong they are and see how competitive they are. I was just on a Zwift race this past Tuesday out of South Africa. It's called the Premier League South Africa and Zwift. <clears throat> and they had a men's and a women's race. And the women's race had 56 women in the race, which is huge. We don't get those numbers like at national championships or even continental championships in Africa, you know, but they were all, for the most part, they were South African women, um, no black women. Uh, a, a Japanese woman actually won the race, which I thought was pretty cool. And, but here you have these women racing and I'm like, I just need to get our gals in there. And so we have trainers in Rwanda. I have trainers going to Benin. I have trainers in Kenya. Some are going to Uganda. And as soon as I can get these women doing these races virtually, then hopefully it will drive interest to say they are the real deal. I told you they were. And hopefully get sponsorship. But yeah, right now it's just continuing to ask and just I'm relentless. People people probably get tired of me from for asking, but if I don't ask, who will? 
It's definitely true. And I love what you said about the catch 22. That's something that's constantly on my mind in sport and beyond. It's just in women's, in, when we talk about women's empowerment in, in general, I think as a woman, you have that crazy feeling of knowing you can achieve something, but not having that platform or the empowerment to achieve it. And, you know, we, I have so many conversations in sports specifically where it's arguments that, yeah, well, women are just not meant to be there because it's the men, men dominating the platform. But I'm like, well, I mean, have they had the chance? You know, it's, it's, it's tricky because you need to invest in them to give them the chance to become as good. But at the same time, you wouldn't know they're as good if you don't put the investment in them. So I think that's a very important thing that you touched on because it's something that really sits with me a lot. And I hope more people can see this perspective. We kind of have to take a chance on this in order to see the outcome. And what about you? Tell us about your experience with funding. Um, with myself, um, it's been difficult, again, just to agree, uh, because uh, starting with the Women's Sending Day Development Cup that uh, I started uh, five years ago, um, it was difficult because first time in Uganda, this is women's football, the way I was doing everything, everybody's looking. Uh, I went to a few companies and most of them, they're just like, what are you even talking about really? Because women's sport is not the norm, really. Women's football is not the norm. So it, it has been difficult even up to now. It is really, really difficult. And at most what you can get is sponsors or donors or charitable organizations. But I'm asking why not the real sponsors who are going to benefit from this? So it is really difficult. And now talking about why investment is good, I speak about that we have to do the work. Mm -hmm. We have to look for the sponsors. We have to show people that look, if you put the investment here, it's gonna work. And for me, looking at different examples, I think one thing I always think about when it comes to investment or equality is that, again, it takes me back to the unity and also engaging different people. I always look at two pictures. I look at the picture of Fatuma and uh, Infantino of FIFA. When they are working together, there is a balance. One can fight for one side, or one can fight for one side, but we make decisions together at the end of the day. And I always look at that picture and it inspires me because you want to work with a balance. And for me, working with the South Sudan FA, um, I can boldly say that everything we are doing with women's football is better than the men's football. We just appointed a women's football coach and the men's side coach is not a full-time. Well, he is full-time, but for women, it's the first time we're appointing someone to be there, to live in the country, to work with the players, to do everything. Because if I have the power to make things happen, you are going to show people that this is the right way to do it right from the start because South Sudan, everything is new. So we have uh, the opportunity to do everything from scratch and to do it the right way. Nothing, uh, we are not settling for anything more than that. And uh, talking about investment in, in, in women's sport as well, it's things that convincing them that we need a women's football course, we need a women's football this, and they have injected the money. and. Over 90 women are now coaches. And before we started, there was none, no coaches at all. It's things like that where you convince them that, look, if you do this, 
we are going to be at this level and everybody wants that success level. Uh, when you look at football itself, it paints a very good picture when there is that investment and both men and women can celebrate about this. If you look at the FIFA Women's World Cup last uh, in 2019, the picture it painted, uh, um, viewing figures were broken. And the question is, was it only women watching the football? No, it was everybody globally. So it shows you that investing in women's sport. And for me, uh, it's not just soccer, it's not just cycling, it's every single sport because sport is, it changes the world and makes us better people. It brings people together. Um, that's not to say that other activities don't, but there is something unique about sports because it has a big audience and people who have been through it, it it's just, it just changes the world. And for me, in terms of investment, we have to convince them. But if we don't convince them, let's go to them and show them that this can work. Definitely. I agree with you. It's a power of taking action and showing and not, well, sitting back and, you know, hoping that the change will come, but being those change makers and, and you know, sharing those examples. I love what you said about togetherness and the example you gave of FIFA. You know, a lot of the times it becomes an argument of if we're supporting women's sport, we're not supporting men's sport, but it's really not about that. And I love that you brought it up because it's about togetherness. One person can just represent one side and the other person represents the other side. And both of them have, you know, their interests represented and that's fantastic. So that's great. And I think now this is a perfect time to, as we wrap up, to just talk about the future, you know, about the different goals that you have. For me, with African Sports Network, this conversation was great because I'm thinking so much about the future that I want to have and the importance. We've talked here about role models. I want to keep being a role model. I want to keep creating a network of role models where, you know, young people can see and be inspired and, you know, see people who are going to make change. I want to keep challenging the gender norms in the sports industry keep learning more and keep helping other people well grow their careers in sports, whether it's on the field or off the field. So, you know, let's talk about the future with the present, you know, let's tell us about your achievements. This is a great time for you to share what you're proud of. And also just, you know, let's talk about what you hope to achieve because even if we've come from talking about the barriers, what we know is that the opportunities for success are much bigger. So let's start with you, Kimberly. Tell us what you're proud of with, um, you know, with what you're doing so far and the opportunities, uh, the, what the future looks like? I think that's, that's a tough one for me because yes, I'm proud of the work that we did in Rwanda, but it's, it's so small. And I feel, um, I feel, especially as I get older, I feel the sense of time and I feel a sense of urgency and that enough hasn't been done. And Although, although men's cycling in Africa has, has grown, I don't think we've, we've started in, in women's cycling. And that to me keeps me awake at night. And it keeps me awake at night when I have young women who, you know, I had an Ethiopian woman who just sent me message after message. She had gotten on a European team and it was a really difficult situation for her. And, you know, trying to keep her engaged and, and just the cultural barriers, the financial barriers, they were only paying her 300 euro a month. They promised her, promised her on the next contract that she would, you know, make a lot more, just do what they said to, you know, that she needed to do. And here she was, this incredible Ethiopian female cyclist and 
when her contract came up for renewal, they're like, oh no, you just need to go another year. And she ended up having to leave and, you know, navigating that whole process and what happened with her, it's just, it really shows me how little we've done. And so looking to the future, it's, it's funny that this came up at this time. I was telling Gabriel is that I, I literally had this epiphany. I, you know, I'm COVID exhausted in the U S and I'm frustrated that I don't feel like we're moving. And I said, that's it. Like we need to go big or go home. Like with this with women's cycling and I've reached out to friends and I'm like how do we get more women mechanics training going how do we do this virtual thing how do I get women on trainers how do I get them seen how do I get the money you know I I don't know I just have this incredible sense of urgency and it's really only been in the past couple of weeks that it's kicked into overdrive because I feel like our time is now I feel things changing across the the world maybe it's being in the u.s and seeing my new president uh, putting women in positions of power finally and seeing the diversity i'm inspired maybe our new president is my role model and seeing kamala harris as our first female vice president a woman of color i'm like that's it maybe that's my i i saw it and now i'm like we can do this. We can do this. And so I have this renewed fire to get things really moving. And the, the virtual way is the way to do it because it's kind of like, if they won't come to us, I'm going to put these women all over the virtual platform and they will see them. So there, there will be no hiding in the darkest corners of Africa anymore for these women. They're going to be seen around the world. Brilliant, brilliant. And I love that the opportunity is all about adapting. It's not about, you know, seeing something and figuring out that it's not working, but also, you know, pivoting and finding a way to think differently. Jill, what about you? I know you you hold many different hats. Um, I'm going to give you the chance to speak freely about whichever one of them you choose and just tell us, you know, about what, what you feel proudest of achieving so far with that opportunity and obviously the future, the bright future ahead. Yeah, personally, I feel like I'm more proud of the process of everything that I've learned, really, because I know we are not yet where we want to be. But I think now the zeal that I have is use everything in my power to make sure I achieve the goal that I want, regardless of what I have to do, as long as the result is for a good cause. And that's what I do. And for me personally, through everything that I've done uh, in my experience, experiences. I've learned to be a bit tactical, uh, choosing your battles. Maybe they give me the money today. So let me ask for what's more important and leave out what's not important. So being um, selective uh, and also making friends, really networking, because um, for me, the more people love you, the more you're working with the people, the more they care about you, Every policy you bring, they are going to maybe think about it and pass it. So that has always been a, a tactic for me. Maybe I go here, let me make, he has to be my friend because if I need something, then he will provide it. And good or wrong, I have to do it because if it's going to get the right results in the end, then I have to do it. And also um, talking about um, 
using other people. Um, one day Sarai was having a conversation and she mentioned if she wanted to achieve something, if maybe the person in the uh, decision, decision-making position doesn't like you, you could go through someone else they like so that you get what is done. Because at the end of the day, the result is going to be for the team. Uh, it's going to be for everyone. So that is always a tactic that I, I always think about. And also um, lobbying can also be a good, a, good, a good thing. So getting everybody on the side so that by the time you go to ask for it, you're already a big team and there is no way that, uh, that uh, things are not going to work out. So it's been, it's kind of being calculative in every single way that uh, you're, you're doing. But for me, I think everything that I need to do I have to try and make it happen. Of course, not giving up because it's really frustrating. The battle is really, really frustrating. But then maybe one day give it a break. Uh, and for me also, one thing I've learned, sometimes you have to take one step back to move forward again and even to move more. So for me, the only thing I've always said, just make it happen whatever way, achieve the result. And I believe even if the journey looks ahead right now for the future of when this is gonna be equal, one step at a time, we are going to get there. Great. And you know what, Jane, you've just summarized what it's like to be a woman in sport. The things, the tactics you've given are survival mode as women in sport. You have to think out of the box. This is what the challenges make you do, you know? So anyone listening to this, this is actually what it's like. You have to think about the next step, the next thing you have to do about you not being liked and having getting the other person on your side because that's what it's like. At the end of the day, you know that what you're trying to achieve is for the betterment of the women's sports industry as a whole and it needs to get done somehow. So it's very interesting that you mentioned that as a parting shot, but it's true, you know, and I love I love this conversation because I'm speaking to two resilient women who, you know, are doing whatever it takes to improve the empowerment of women in sports. And this is really what it's about. It's about building that community. And it's 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 amazing to hear that different sports you know we've talked to with cycling we've talked to with football but the experience is the same you know the hardships are the same but what i love is that the optimism is the same and you know we both we all have that resilience of you know what it's going to get done we're going to push and we're going to empower so this was a lovely conversation i really enjoyed speaking with you kimberly and john thank you likewise it was so nice to meet you all mm -hmm.